Well, good morning, everyone. Hi, I'm Mark. I'm one of the pastors here. <laughs> I, was, uh, I was looking forward to the opportunity sometime in my life to say that. <laughs> but we enjoyed our two weeks of retirement. It's been marvelous. Um, I, I love Pastor Chris and Pastor Beebe, we, they, they were knit to our hearts very quickly in, in our time here. And so I have a deal. So don't, don't think I'm evil, but I'm just going to confess what goes on. Uh, every Sunday when he's speaking, I text him. I said, knock him unconscious. Don't knock him dead. You'll get in trouble. But knock him unconscious. It's a joke. Okay, if you don't know my humor by now. I don't know what to tell you. Um, so I, I get this text yesterday from him at about 11 o'clock, 10, 30, I don't know what time it was. doesn't matter. We were watching the Food Network, as I do every Saturday morning, discovering what I do wrong and pretty much everything I cook. And uh, I get this text that says, can you knock him dead tomorrow? And I'm thinking... I think that's an invitation to speak. So here we are. And I even brought my own media person, my, my favorite media person in the whole world. Uh, so if you're wondering where Jill is, she's in the back helping us today. And thank you. Love that lady so much. 40 plus years we've been together. And uh, we've had an eventful couple of weeks. Since we last saw you, Jill's been in San Francisco watching our grandson while helping out that set. And then she got a call a week ago said, Mom, can you meet me in Vegas from our other daughter that has four? And uh, I said, well, you ought to go. So she went home, packed, and got on a flight and flew to Vegas. Not what you think. It was a soccer tournament for our oldest granddaughter. And uh, then rode back to Phoenix and stayed around for... Brecken's 10th birthday, and then came home till she leaves again, because it's what we do. Anyway, um, I want to talk about mysteries today. Mysteries. <laughs> and some of you, when I'm done speaking today, will go, that whole teaching was a mystery. But remember, I, I started this at 11 o'clock yesterday morning. So anyway, the Bible, believe it or not, talks about mysteries. Are you aware of that? And, and mysteries is something that was formerly hidden or obscure, but it's now revealed, and here's the key word, revealed by God for all to know and understand. And the Bible teaches us that we are entrusted with these uh, mysteries. Now, in the Greek, the word mysterion means a hidden secret thing or mystery. Now, mystery in a religious sect is confided only to the initiated or not ordinary mortals. You'll, you'll see in most sects, I have a revelation and no one else got it you'll hear those kind of things but the mysteries of God are this they're the secret counsels which govern God in his dealings with the righteous did you hear what I just said they govern God in dealing with the righteous in other words mysteries are going to say this is how God works with you if you are one of the righteous. So the mysteries are hidden from the ungodly. 
and they're unhidden, they're hidden from the wicked, but they're plain to see to the godly. Now, you'll say, well, where, where do you base that? Well, if you remember, we'll talk about it in just a moment, that Jesus used 72 stories to reveal his mysteries. He said, if you're in the kingdom, you'll get it. If you're not, you won't. So quickly, are you ready? There are some mysteries in the Bible. This is going to be a fast deal. Not that I have anywhere to go because I'm retired. <laughs> I, was, I was telling Jill, you know, sometimes when, when we were working Monday through Friday and getting ready on for church on Saturday and then Sunday, sometimes I'd kind of mid-Sunday afternoon kind of get depressed that the weekend was gone. And I said, I'm not going to feel that way this week because what do I have to do tomorrow? Nothing. So here they are. Ready? Number one, mysteries of God. Mysteries of God. That's found in 1 Corinthians 4. This then is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. They're his mysteries. Now it's required that those who have been given a trust prove faithful. So in other words, if you've been trusted with the mysteries of God, you have a responsibility to be faithful. You know what the word there is? It's a good steward. It's a manager, hear me, it's a manager of the mystery, not an owner. Do you know the difference? Let's put it on our wallet. If God is my provision, then what's in my wallet isn't mine, it's God's, and I'm the manager. And he doesn't mind me using a lot of what's in there for me, as long as I return to him that which is his. Which, by the way, for those of you online, an easy way to give is to go online. Jill and I did it this month because we weren't here. Go online, click the little button. It remembered me. It remembered our bank account. It remembered so much. And click yes, yes, and then I get a little email that says, thank you for your contribution. If you do that, by the way, and you see Yuba City Foursquare number 2, that's our legal name, so be happy about that, okay? little promo for online giving. Second is the mystery of Christ. The mystery of Christ. Ephesians 3 says, In reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. You say, is Christ a mystery? Absolutely. Now, Christos in the Greek is, is the word that, that means Messiah in the Old Testament. It's the promised one, the hoped for one. It, it is an absolute mystery to think that God could become human flesh and dwell among us and breathe like we breathe and walk like we walk and live like we live. Why did he do that? To show us how to live, to live an example, and then to go one step farther and to recognize that there is a system of sacrifice that's necessary and all of our efforts to offer the right sacrifice never measured up. We had to bring a sin offering every time we sinned, which means pretty much I'd be in line every day. Oh, don't sit there so pious. You'd be there with me. Why? Because we're human. We have feet of clay. Isn't that right? 
It's an absolute mystery that not only God could become flesh and show us how to live, but he said, I'll make you a deal in this covenant because in a covenant, normally the sacrifice is split in half and the two parties walk through and God says, I'll walk through for both sides. I'll take care of both. All you have to do is repent and believe. That's a mystery. That's a mystery. It is so hard for humans to understand the mystery of Christ. You say, but it seems so simple. All you have to do is repent and believe, and your eternal destiny is secure, and you have hope and a future and all those things. Why wouldn't everybody do it? Because it doesn't make sense. Because we want to earn it. We want to measure up. We want to be strong enough, right? There's just something in our nature that says, I get what I deserve, and I want to deserve heaven. I'm going to earn it. So what do we try to do? We try to be good. How long does that last? Till you get on the freeway. And some of you, I've seen you in the grocery store. You know who you are. Colossians 4, verse 3 says, and pray for us that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim, what? The mystery of Christ, for which I'm in chains. There's another mystery regarding Christ, and it's the mystery of Christ in you. Colossians 1 says, I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you. Christ in you is the hope of glory. It's one thing to be a mystery of Christ, it's that God could become man, become flesh, could live, could die, and rise again. And we believe in him and I have eternal life. That, that's one thing. But to think that an omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent God could say, I choose to dwell in a temple of clay. You said, well, in the Old Testament, I thought he, he was in a tent and then in a building. Those were representatives of what he wanted to be. He wanted to be the center of you. And of me, that that place that was designed in us, there is a place that every person has that's designed so that only God himself can fill it. And in that, we can be fulfilled. Number four, a mystery of godliness. 1 Timothy 3, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, and was taken up in glory. You know who that's talking about? That's Jesus. 1 Corinthians 5.21 says, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we might be made right with God through Christ. I'll give you a clue. Number 5 and number 8 are the same answer. Mystery of the Gospel. In Romans 16, Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ, in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for 
long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all Gentiles might come to obedience that comes from faith. Who's that? Who's that written about? Me. It's through Jesus, but it's written about me. I'm a Gentile. I'm a Gentile. How do I come into that righteousness through faith? I come because there was a way paved, which is what your answer was. It's Jesus. That's a mystery. That's the good news, that I don't have to earn it. I don't deserve it. I don't have to build a tower strong, high enough or a bridge wide enough. I just repent and believe. By the way, I know you've forgotten who I am, but you will not throw me off if you respond. The mystery of the resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we'll all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trump will sound, the dead will be raised and perishable, and we will be changed. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But what made 12 people, 120 people, 3,000 people, go absolutely crazy in their devotion to what most of the world would view as a man because they observed one thing that had never been seen before, that they saw someone put in a grave that came out of a grave. And that changed their perspective. It validated everything that they had heard. You see, if Jesus Christ had not been risen from the dead, he'd be just another dead man. They'll say, well, that's real profound, Mark. Well, that would mean everything he said to us was not true. But what validates what he said? The fact that God deemed him righteous and raised him from the dead. Number seven, the mystery of God's will, Ephesians 1. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment. If you're wondering where we are, we're really close to the times of fulfillment. I don't watch CNN or Fox News. I told you during the election cycle, I found myself getting anxious, and I thought, you know, the Bible tells me everything that's going on, and it's going to tell me the end. I don't need to be anxious. I'm turning it off, and I did. Cartoon Network is fabulous. <laughs> TV land puts me to sleep every night. You say, well, how can you live? I, it's pretty easy. It's pretty easy. As I said, number eight is the same as number five. It's the mystery of the gospel. It's mentioned a second time in Ephesians 3. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise of Christ. That's good news. That we're grafted in. Number nine is the mystery of God's wisdom. Can you imagine having the wisdom of God? No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that's been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. See, it was destined. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no mind has conceived, these things God has prepared for those who love him. 
Number 10 is the mystery of revelation in Ephesians chapter 3. This grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make known to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now, through you, let me read it again. His intent was that now, through the rivers, all right, his intent was now that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to rulers and authorities in heavenly realms. Circle that one. Circle that one. God's intent was to use us to enforce his plan. Hang on to that. Number 11. Some of you are thinking, this sermon is pointless. <laughs> well, it's got 11 so far. Mystery of the kingdom. Mystery of the kingdom. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has been given more, they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. In Mark 4, 11, and in Luke 8, it's pretty much the same story. So, now to the point. We all live in a kingdom. We all live in a kingdom. Now, would you agree with me that earthly kingdoms have come and they've gone? You know, it was kind of World War One, and then World War Two cemented the the rise of the United States as a, as a world power. But before that, who was it? It was Great Britain. I remember back when dinosaurs roamed the earth and we had, we had nuclear uh, tests in school. If a bomb comes, get under the desk so you can be vaporized in safety. <laughs> Do you remember the fallout shelter signs everywhere? Yeah, as if we're going to live in there for 5,000 years until the, the radiation <laughs> half-life is low enough that we can stick our head back out. Kingdoms have come and gone. Because these kingdoms have all been based on different ideas and different principles. And the goals and objectives of these kingdoms have been established to serve many, in some cases, a democracy or a republic to serve a few, an oligarchy, or to serve one, a dictatorship. Listen to these next two things. These are very important. The rule of these kingdoms have been imposed through law or force. These kingdoms have demanded outward compliance but we're always unable to control the thoughts or change the attitude of the heart. Friends, I'm not going to speak politically, but I just spoke politically.
it's not a political party. It is a kingdom system that we live in that wants to enforce things on us externally. And even the ones that say they don't, do. We're in a season of time where you sense this and you see it and it's easier to nod your head in agreement and say, yeah, that's really going on. Kingdoms demand outward compliance, but they're unable to control the thoughts or change the attitude of the heart. Number three, we all live in a kingdom struggle. We all live in a kingdom struggle. You'll say, well, yes, we are, you know, because we're, we're being told every day what we need to do, and we're being told we need to do this to do that, and if you're going to eat here, you have to have this, and you've got to show this to get into a concert, and you've got to do this when you're on a plane, and to leave the country but don't plan on coming, all of those things. That's not the kingdom struggle I'm talking about. We're in an ongoing struggle and conflict with an enemy that we cannot see. You see, Satan's tactics are covert and they're secretive. Now listen to me, please. These attacks are successful only to the degree they remain unrecognized by us. I'm going to get real brave here because I'm not the senior pastor. <laughs> Regardless of where you stand politically, the demands that churches not meet because of COVID, I think was devil inspired. And the reason I think that is because people walked out the doors have never come back. And they say, well, it's because I'm afraid or I'm protecting my... Yeah, but you go to the grocery store and you're in Target and you're everywhere. Don't give me that. I'm sorry. Unless you've stayed in your house for two years. I'm sorry. That's pretty pointed. But it's not here. It's, it's every pastor I talk to and the ministerial groups that I'm in, the different things that I'm involved with. It's some of the churches that I listen to every week and I'm used to seeing the crowd you know packed to the, the ceiling and, and you look and about every third chair has a person in it recognize we're in a conflict we're in a struggle and it's with an enemy that we can't see and his tactics are deceptive they're covert they're secretive and they're successful when we don't recognize them Those of you that home that you haven't been back in a couple of years, don't let the attack of fear, which is the presence of Satan, keep you from doing what Hebrews says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as is the manner of some. It's hard to walk in faith and walk alone. At the Jackson house, I better have some jumping up and down over there. I wish we had a <laughs> I wish we had a camera. That'd be funny. I may get a text that says you're never coming back, but that's okay. 
<laughs> yeah, until next week. Yeah. Uh, listen to this. Often the emotional upheaval and pain you feel are the only evidence that there's a battle. Do you know that the kingdom of heaven is the mystery that Jesus taught about the most? Of all the mysteries that I listed, the kingdom of heaven is the mystery that Jesus taught about the most. Because this kingdom operates differently than the other kingdoms of the world. Living in this kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, requires us to battle a hidden enemy. And Jesus gave us 72 parables comparing this spiritual kingdom with earthly matters. Let me give you an example. Matthew 13, the kingdom of heaven is like. Have you ever heard that phrase? It's in there a lot. The kingdom of heaven is like. Now, it doesn't say the kingdom of heaven is. It says it's like. It's a simile. It's a comparison. Let me explain something to you that's in a spiritual dimension in a physical one that you can understand. In this verse in Matthew 13, it says it's like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in a field. Though it's the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it's the largest of the garden plants and becomes a tree so that birds come and perch in its branches. You see, in the parables, the kingdom of God is defined and Jesus testifies to his identity and to his mission in a veiled form so that the hearer's response to the parable, listen to this, is their response to the kingdom of God and to Jesus himself. Jesus' parables about the kingdom are two phases. First is the kingdom is already here. The kingdom of God is present. The kingdom of God is now. The, the kingdom of, of heaven, the kingdom of God is among you. But it's also the kingdom of God is yet to come. Now, whichever phase of the kingdom is addressed, each parable stresses the necessity of coming to a decision regarding the kingdom. Nothing must stand in the way of grasping it, and the hearers must let everything go in order to gain entrance into the kingdom. This is that treasure that's hidden in a field for, the, for which sake a man sells all his property and buys a field. This is the pearl of great price to gain for which a merchant sells all that he has. Those are in Matthew 13, uh, 14, 44, 45. And in Matthew 11, I'm skipping one, dear. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there is not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist, yet he is the least of the kingdom of heaven. He who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until the present time, the kingdom of heaven has endured violent assault, and violent men seize it by force as a precious prize. A share in heavenly kingdom is sought with ardent zeal and intense exertion. For the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you're willing to receive and accept it, John himself is Elijah who has come before this kingdom. You see, the most distinct parables of Jesus are parables of the kingdom designed to embody principles of the kingdom. They're not just illustrations. And when you discover the meaning of the parables... You have revealed to you a kingdom principle designed to give you victory over an unseen enemy. With that, I submit that the rule of the kingdom of heaven is achieved in a different manner than other kingdoms. Listen to these next three points. 
the kingdom of heaven begins inside of each of us. The kingdom of heaven begins inside each of us, not on the earth. Remember I talked about earthly kingdoms and how they enforce things externally, but they could never deal with the heart or the thoughts of man? Jesus comes and says, I'm going to establish a kingdom, and it's going to be different. It's going to start out in you. It's going to change your heart by taking out your heart of stone and giving you a heart of flesh, by restoring you in relationship with God, by renewing your mind so that it changes the way you think, the way you feel. And guess what that changes? The way you act. The internal is changed, affects the external. How many have ever had that two-year-old? You know that two-year-old that you're trying to get to settle down. And you tried all the stuff all the book said. I'll promise you this. If you do this, I'll do this. I'll do this. You got 15 things in the grocery cart at the store hoping that one of those would do the trick, and it hasn't. And some of us have resorted in, stupidly, I will say, if I just hold them really tight... That'll calm them down. <laughs> How does that external rule work? Now everybody in the grocery store or Target or wherever knows that you're the worst parent in history. <laughs> because what are you doing to that child? God could have come down and wrapped his big arms around us and said, you're going to conform. He could have done that. He has the power to do that. But what kind of family would we be if we served because we were ordered to rather than we had chosen in our heart to let him change our heart to transform our thinking? The kingdom of heaven begins inside of us. In Luke 17, once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God, what, is within you. Catch this truth. The kingdom of God conquers the internal world of man before it conquers the external world of mankind. So where's our battle? It's internal, not external. Why is that interesting? Well, we, it's more difficult to engage in an internal battle because sometimes you don't recognize you're in it. It's also more difficult to measure success or improvement. You know, if uh, there, there's been a number of World War I movies out in recent years, and, and I've always been fascinated since I was a teenager about trench warfare how they would fight for 20 or 30 yards and then settle in and dig holes in the ground and, okay, now we're here. And then they might have to fall back to their old trenches. And particularly in France in World War I, that was the way it went on and on. But you could measure success. You could say, well, here's where our line is. The commanders could look at the maps and say, okay, we're here. We've, we've moved in. Oh, we have a weakness here. We better support. How do you measure success or improvement inside? 
see if this makes sense to you. In this battle, the things we don't want to do, we do. There was a guy in the Bible, I think his name was Paul, that wrote a whole chapter about it in Romans. I said, there's things I don't want to do. And I did it. And there's things I vowed I will do. And I didn't. And then he said, oh, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? And when Paul wrote it, they didn't put a new line there and start a new chapter. Because it doesn't end there. He goes on to say that there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ. Now, the next two points are the points of what I wanted to share. Jesus didn't come to earth to attack the sovereignty of man. Sometimes, and if you grew up in a church world like I did, that had a whole bunch of rules, and once you finally followed them all, somebody came up with ten more. I used to joke, I can't smoke or chew or go with girls that do. We didn't dance. I don't know why. They danced in the Bible. It's in kids. It's in their nature to dance, and we, we weren't supposed to dance. And, and we didn't play cards. But we could play rook. Because I know the pastors used to come over to our house after the kids were in bed at camp, and they'd play rook until whatever hour of the morning. It was okay. I mean, you, you see, yeah, we didn't go to movies. First movie I went to was a Billy Graham film because I was always said, do you want to be in the theater when Jesus comes? I don't know. Maybe. There was a lot of things. And so the, in, the, the thing that was impressed upon many of us in that era was that God was coming to, to take away our sovereignty, our ability to choose, our ability to live, our ability to enjoy. If it's fun, it must not be godly. Any Anyone here relate? Listen to me. Jesus came to earth to attack the sovereignty of Satan. Not the sovereignty of man. Now, let me explain that. The original intent of God was for man to have authority over the earth. Remember that? Man gave away the authority when he sinned and submitted it to Satan. That's Genesis 3. Man became a subject of Satan's empire, and for 4,000 years he flaunted his authority. And do you realize that Satan dangled the authority that man had given him in front of Jesus during his weakest point after the 40 days of fasting? He said, you can have the authority back if you'll just bow down and worship me. He says, you can have the authority. But here's what Jesus came to introduce. He came to introduce his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. You see, Jesus had a different plan to implement and establish a kingdom. He came to provide a way for man to become a kingdom citizen. He came to regain man's authority over earth. 
And when Satan inspired people to crucify an innocent man, Jesus Christ, the authority, the, the righteous hold that Satan had over authority of the earth was taken from him and given to Jesus. Guess what happened? Jesus regained man's authority over the earth. And then what did he say? All authority has been given to me. What am I giving to you? All authority. We're getting back to where the original intent. But as a result of that, here's what we have. We have the same battle that Jesus had. And here's the battle. To overcome the work of Satan. Now, I said earlier, many times we don't recognize the war. There are some that might view what has happened in this church in the last few weeks as, well, it's just, you know, it's the, the winds of the season and all of this and all of that. Yeah, yeah, okay. But ask Pastor Chris if he feels a spiritual challenge to the season. Just taking over, just stepping into a new role. And by the way, I, I'm very inspired by him, the energy, <laughs> energy that he has uh, to encourage me every day. And I'm going, I should have done that. <laughs> Do you feel like maybe there's an attack? Well, if you recognize there's an attack, then you've been given weapons. What are your weapons? To pray. What are your weapons? To pray. What are your weapons? You said it. Praise and worship. You said another one. The word of God. You've been given the weapons to win the war, to defeat the works of the enemy. Who do men say that I am? Some say you're this. Some say you're Moses. Some say Elijah. Some say one of the prophets. Who do you say that I am? I say that you're the Christos, the Christ, the Son of the living God. Good job, Peter. And upon that confession, I will build my church. What? That he is the Christ. That he is the one that's come to restore, to return to you the authority that God intended for man back in Genesis 1. It's in your hands. What are you going to do? Are you going to fight the battle? Are you going to recognize you're in a battle? I encourage you, recognize you're in the battle. The weapons over warfare are not carnal, but are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. It's not political. It's spiritual. It's not a political party. It's spiritual. Which kingdom are you going to embrace in your heart and enforce on the earth? That's your choice. Church of the living God, we've been given everything we need to oppose the works of the adversary. I've never seen gates that have advanced. Bible says the gates of hell won't prevail. I've never seen a gate chase me. 
you can go into the adversary's territory, not with an arrogance, which I've seen people do. Here I am. Well, good for you. You can go in in the authority and power that Jesus has given you, empowered and directed by the Holy Spirit. You say, I don't know how to pray. Remember I did a whole Holy Spirit series? Why did we talk about one of the gifts was the, the gift of tongues interpretation? What was the other prayer language of the Spirit? Why do you want a prayer language? Because God will help you pray when you don't know how to pray. When you run out of words, he says, I've got them for you, and they'll be right on target to bring about a change. Amen. That's all I have. So, Jesus, this morning, we invite your kingdom presence into our heart, into our life. We invite the light of your truth to illuminate areas of darkness in our hearts that we might be truly members of your kingdom. We're grateful that we're made members of your kingdom by your work on the cross, by our confession that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. We do that. And we ask, Lord, that you give us spiritual eyes to see the conflicts that we're in. Give us the strength and the wisdom to do battle, to see those that are in bondage brought into freedom in Jesus' name. I pray over this church family, ones that we hold so dear. In the name of Jesus, let liberty, freedom, and wholeness come. For those that have been suffering with sickness, I pray that healing come and restoration. Even if they're at home right now, let the warmth of your spirit move through their body and quicken them in Jesus' name. For those that I spoke about that have been suffering through a season of fear because of what has gone on in our country and in our, in our world, I pray that the spirit of fear be broken and the spirit of faith rise up in Jesus' name. Let their hearts be encouraged by the reality and truth of your word and the security that we have in you, that you will never leave us, you'll never forsake us, that you will care for us, that you're our healer, you're our restorer, you're our provider. You're going to be with us to the very end until we stand with you in your presence. That's the promise that we have. May it be true in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I am done. God bless you, and have a great, great week.